Hi listeners, this is Rahul Gupta, CEO of Avanti Finance. government has been on the mission to improve financial inclusion for decades now in the past by policy changes and mandates to banks which today is done through an ecosystem and technology approach one of the largest financial inclusion startups in india is avanti finance which is an initiative of ratan tata and nandan nilekadi in this episode your host akshay dat talks to rahul gupta the ceo of avanti finance about building a fintech for financial inclusion for the next 100 million households rahul shares his learnings from his long experience inside GE and the fundamental principles of scaling up a lending business focused on the unbanked and the underbanked. Stay tuned and subscribe to the Founder Thesis podcast on any audio streaming platform to learn about building businesses for the bottom of the pyramid. I grew up in a small town Shimla, so I grew up there along with my mom and the two older brothers I lost my dad when i was very young sadly passed away at a very young age when he was at the height of his profession but my mother then took on the mantle of bringing up three young boys and she did a few entrepreneurial things so i did my bachelor's in commerce from bav college chandigarh and very shortly after that i started my career with a office automation company called network where i started my career selling electronic typewriters so i was a field sales executive and spent about 9 months there good training and then was very fortunate to be selected into modi xerox which was definitely amongst the best sales organizations in india at that time and lesson that learned there at a very early stage of my life have helped me right throughout so at that point of time we were selling uh, photocopying machines and at a very young age i got the opportunity to get exposed to selling in retail institutional and government sector and really understanding the different sales cycles and how to manage multiple stakeholders and deal with pressure because it was a, a high reward but high pressure organization how long was that stint So that was about two and a half years in Delhi. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And then there was an interesting opportunity that came about in the form of American Express, which was expanding its business in India and was going to launch the Indian rupee card for one and also expand what they had was the corporate card. That time, mainly the big draw was that you could use it internationally under some liberalized guidelines from the reserve bank and given that they were targeting a very marky audience they wanted a proprietary sales team and uh, the interview process was uh, quite grueling had to meet different people but more importantly what they had done is they had made the package very attractive at that point of time and uh, 30 or 40000 people who applied for some 12 or 13 positions and those who got it but i think they were out of the 12 or 13 people they hired seven or eight were from modi xerox so that also spoke about training that we all got in that organization which year did you join amex i joined amex in 92 i joined as part of the cards team based out of bombay had a lot of fun meeting some industry stalwarts because i had to go and sell the card to them directly but more importantly share the value proposition of the card to them 
G Capital had been set up in India recently and they were making a foray with very ambitious plans on the retail finance side through an organization called Countrywide at that point of time. Initially, it was a joint venture of G Capital and HDFC and then G Capital ran it by themselves. So I was amongst the first uh, 27 or 28 people who joined that organization. It was a whole lot of fun. Most of what I have learned in consumer financing happened then. And subsequently, in the years that, or the two decades that I served that organization in India, Singapore, Hong Kong, and then back in Singapore. This was a credit card business that GE set up? No, actually the credit card business came later, which was in the joint venture with State Bank of India. But what we actually started off on the consumer financing side was financing of consumer durables. So G leveraged a lot of its know-how in mature markets, creating white label or private label partnerships with known brands. So the you know end product was like more like an embedded finance product as we call it today. And the industry was very, very fragmented at that point of time. So if you were buying a color television and you wanted financing on it, it was basically whatever means the local dealer had. But here we partnered with the OEMs to provide a very nationwide standard offering, which was Modus Operandi, which GE had built across. So we picked a pretty large business and then started with consumer durables and then it went into different asset classes like computers and air conditions, two-wheelers, cars. We were one of the two organizations which had a captive kill finance organization with Maruti, which was the leader by far at that. So that was an organization called Maruti Countrywide. We were amongst the largest sort of players in the industry on the consumer finance side. So I did that for about six years in different cities in India, roles of increasing responsibility. Then I took a sabbatical. I had a very interesting opportunity that came my way to work for a telecom company, a mobile telephony company in Eastern Europe. So I was took that risk. It was my wife, myself, and our daughter who was about three years old. So we were quite excited about the chance to go overseas and live in Eastern Europe. And it was a wonderful assignment, work with some great people, completely different industry, different environment. And two years later, for personal reasons, we wanted to come back to India. And G was very gracious to offer me a very good role back as the chief marketing officer and said, welcome back home. So great to be back with people I'd worked for a long time. And then since from then until I joined Avanti in 2018, I was with GE. When I came back from Eastern Europe, a couple of years in India and then a few years in Singapore. Then I was running our business in Hong Kong. What kind of roles? Like you were heading sales? So I went to head marketing in Singapore, but then we merged sales and marketing. So I took over. Then I got promoted and went as a pretty young CEO to Hong Kong. Spent a very interesting three years in Hong Kong, also navigating the global financial crisis, and then dealing with the changes that G wanted to make to its portfolio, really winding down capital and growing its other businesses. Then I came back to Singapore, which is a business that had helped to build. We grew it further and then we monetized it by selling it to a bank. After that, I moved into a corporate role for about six years where I was the head of business development and strategy as a managing director for what we call G's Global Growth Organization. So I managed the ASEAN region, which was 
when a few of us had joined, the region was about 2 billion in annual revenues. And then as the businesses grew, we were about 5 billion in revenue. And I did that till the end of 2017, when I thought it was time to take a pause from GU was going through its own inflection point. And I thought this is the time for me to now finally look outside. And then Avanti happened, which was uh, great. A lot of people blame GE's downfall on its diversification into the financial business. Would you characterize that as fair or would you disagree with that? See, what happened was unfortunate. And clearly part of it was GE's own doing. So I think uh, there were a couple of reasons, in my opinion. Now, in the financial services business, I think for wholesale business, that proved to be a big issue, especially which got exacerbated by the fact that the GFC happened. Okay, you'll need to break this down for outsiders. What do you mean by wholesale finance? Really, G wasn't G was a non-banking finance company, so it wasn't a bank. And at one point of time, it was the largest non-banking finance company in the world with a balance sheet of eight hundred billion of assets and larger than many banks as well. And when you really are relying on wholesale funding and not retail deposits, as banks have, that is what sort of caused the challenge, especially, as I mentioned, catalyzed by what happened in the with the external environment. Personally, for me, there were some amazing experiences there. One was managing through the crisis. And you only do these things when you have a great team with you. And G always has great people. We're not only competent, but it had a culture of having each other's back. And then monetizing a few businesses for GE by selling those businesses with the intent that the businesses that we have built, the strong franchise that we had created, finds a good home for the people and what one had created for your end users and our customer segment. And which then after we sold off the Singapore business, which I was running, I got an opportunity to move into the global growth organization role as the business development and head for all industrial business in ASEAN region. And that was amazing because it was only because of the support that one had and what I'd done in G that I got that role. I didn't know much about industrial business, but that was fascinating because there was a very steep learning curve, but I really enjoyed it because in the first 15 years, I was very focused on the financial part of the business, which I was part of. And then I got to learn a lot about our other businesses, such as healthcare, power, aviation, oil and gas, all of which uh, were extremely fascinating. Uh, who bought G's India business on the capital side? So we had, uh, you know, you asked that question on credit card. So credit card was actually, so it went to SBI. And then you have that business has some institutional investors, such as Carlyle, etc. So that was the core credit card business. And then we had some parts of the consumer finance business was then sold to Apollo along with two other senior leaders from which and that entity today is currently known as Clicks Capital. So Avanti journey, March 2018, I was in India for two reasons. One, to spend quality time with friends and family since I had left G end of December. And I was figuring out and exploring my next gig. And where were you based out of? I was based out of Singapore. And in all probability, I was going to land up doing something in private equity. And I used that time also to suss out the scene in India. Because I always wanted, I'd been in Singapore at that time for about 14 years. I'd been overseas for about maybe 17 years or something like that. 
And for me, it was coming back to India was always the path, but it was never a question of if it was always a question of when. And while I was here, I was meeting different people. I was quite amazed at the progress that India had made, especially on what it was doing on the fintech side, the technology side, and how far it had gone. And during that time, I caught up with a very leading search firm, which spoke to me about Avanti and said a couple of luminaries like Mr. Tata and Nandan Nilikani are getting together to solve for financial inclusion at population scale. Would you be interested? And I said, listen, it sounds very fascinating, but obviously I'd like to learn more about it. And that led to a series of conversations with the founders and other board members. And at each stage, I got more and more convinced that this is what I wanted to do. So the the process took its own time in terms of meeting different folks and for me to deliberate and for them to get together. But at each stage, it was a better conversation than the last one, where my clarity in terms of what the vision was became better and better. And I was quite convinced that should I get this opportunity, I would consider it a privilege and I would take it. So that happened. And then I moved here by myself in early October 2018. So it's a little over four years. The time when these conversations were happening and you were getting interviewed, Avanti was already an operational business or it was at the idea stage? No, it was beyond an idea. So the NBFC and NBFC MFI license that we had had happened. The design of Avanti, the vision mission had been spelt out and a core team of about four or five people had been assembled by the board. So so I was fortunate that a lot of that had happened when I came. So I got, so I came into a leadership team, which was very capable. And it's the same leadership team till today and very mission aligned. And the vision and mission had been clearly stated, but it was absolute kind of otherwise startup phase. And there were just a bunch of us. And uh, yeah, it's been an amazing journey since then. What was the the gap that uh, Avanti wanted to fix? Avanti wants to fix the gap of 100 million households, which are either unserved totally or underserved by formal financial services. And which basically means that four or 500 million people in India are excluded from the formal financial system. And that creates a big issue that these people never get an appropriate opportunity to usher in economic prosperity into their life. Financial services here is credit or other things also like? Credit has been, we identified, has been our first intervention. It is one of those things because everybody at the base of the pyramid, you the small ticket loans or income generation loans, that has to be fulfilled first. But our goal is not to be a mono product company. But also, we want to build scale. We want to become good at what we're doing. But the idea is once we do that in our playbook, we will do other forms of products such as partner with others to have fit for purpose insurance products, savings products, really in the spirit of being a neo bank for the un and underserved population of the country. Yeah, India already has the microfinance institute ecosystem, which serves say, a population outside of like beyond the SEC, AAB category population, what was the gap? Why were these people not served? Let's take a step back. Microfinance institutions since about 
2010 and so, so the last 10 12 years i've done a fabulous job of going to the last mile customers which earlier the banks and other financial institutions and not been able to do but despite all of that there are still a 100 million households which are unserved or underserved so when that was the problem statement and when our founders got together it was fairly evident to them that this gap has to be solved by a very reimagined model which is going to be very agile adopting and integrating with all the new technologies of india stack and india's digital public infrastructure that has been created which is leading the world really we're not following anyone there we are leading the way there it was with an audacious vision like that it was always very clear that you can't be a proprietary balance sheet lender so you have to get multiple pools of capital to come through from different forms of financial institution which will fuel the credit output to the target segment and lastly to be frictionless and scalable you had to solve for the conundrum of doing this digitally but to a population which may not be digitally savvy and that's what we try to solve for every day and we have some very interesting use cases around it and that to reiterate that's why it's a platform and it's not just another business where you create brick and mortar as your way of reaching customers then you employ lots of people in the branches and around that to lend and collect and administer and then your scalability also is largely dependent on how much money you can raise on your balance sheet so here the idea was start with your own balance sheet to build a proof of concept after that try and unlock all the capital that is available to go to either priority sector lending or the last mile customers and channel it through a vanfees role as a program manager which can leverage community organizations to source design write products for our customers and aggregate capital across different financial institutions so on one side you reaching the customers you solving for them with should for for purpose products through a channel which is not brick and mortar but other organizations which are could be ad tech players or players with whom we have embedded finance programs or other mfis etc who may not have the capital needed to build scalable programs but definitely have the local knowledge and connect with customers to do so and then you have capital providers on one side such as the large banks and other financial institutions where that money flows through our digital spine so very different reimagined model there must be a reason why this 100 million population has been unserved for example not enough data to underwrite them the axiom in the lending industry is that it's easy to give money it's hard to take it back like collecting so the challenges in collecting money from this or a hundred million household audience like so what was the way that you thought about these problems and how you would solve them yeah, so let's look at it from a customer point of view these why are they unserved or underserved one as you said is the envisage risk around them that they are data dark so how do you underwrite that so if you look at our customer base about 30% of our customers are absolutely new to credit which means the first time they have ever borrowed from a formal financial organization as avanti so what does that do it helps them build a digital financial footprint and if they build by virtue of this if they build a good financial score it's going to empower them in the future and open up more avenues for them to borrow for 
their needs. But how do we underwrite them, right? If they're not part of any formal bureau scores, etc. Now, which is where these local partnerships that we have, where these our originating partners are very well entrenched into the community, they give us what we call a social trust signals, saying, here are your loan, let's say you're giving a 50,000 rupee loan to this person, is going to be used for this income generating activity. So disposable income will grow significantly, hopefully, after they repay you as well. So they're going to live. So one, it's going to have an impact. And because you're helping them generate more income and live better, their motivation to repay you is also that much higher. So it's actually a big risk mitigant. But to do this, actually, you need risk capital. These are hypotheses that we have, right? And that's where we put the risk capital to play to say, okay, let's go and test it. And we are very happy that it's working very well. And people at the base of the pyramid have very honorable intentions to always pay you back. Challenge sometimes is that they always end up taking some knocks or the other in their livelihoods. So you have to be patient enough to understand that delayed payments does not mean write-offs. So if people are delayed sometime because their livelihoods have generally suffered, as was evident during COVID, then just have that patience to ride the storm with them. Because largely what we see in this segment is at a consumer level, there are very few bad actors. So one is how do you underwrite customers who are data dark using social trust signals and leveraging the power of existing communities, which is why we decided to go through this partnership model rather than establish our own brick and mortar. So that's one difference. The second difference is building products which are fit for purpose. Now, if you give a farmer a loan and they are going to monetize their crop, let's say every three months now, and but you ask that farmer to repay every week, it doesn't make sense. Now, how do you build products where the repayments are also linked to the income streams? And that we've built a very agile platform which allows for repayments or moratoriums literally according to what the customers want. So the customers want to repay daily, weekly, fortnightly, monthly, quarterly bullet payments. We built for all of that. If a, if a customer is in the business of, let's say, dairy, and they take a loan for cattle, but the yield is only going to happen in three months later, and therefore, they need a monitorium for the first three months. And, you know, that is something that we built the technology layers and ability to do that as well. So that's really solving for customers taking into account the hyper-local nuances of product development. Because sitting in Bangalore or Bombay, we are not going to know what people in different parts of India and remote parts of India. The third is the constant capital that you need. And which is why for us, we've not restricted ourselves just by being a balance sheet lender. We've done that to prove a concept, to show our skin in the game. But going forward, we lend off on our balance sheet. We'll do co-lending with other financial institutions. And we already have some other use cases where there is some very purpose-led lending that we have done during COVID, etc., where global foundations have given us subsidized debt to tailor programs to help rehabilitate people whose livelihood suffered during the pandemic. And let me just zoom into these all three of these. So your first point was that you go to market with partners instead of building your own distribution. So this was there from day one. You wanted to go through partners. Yeah, we have three operating principles. 
that we should be paperless, presenceless, and cashless. And I'll expound on each one of them. Paperless means that all the information should be captured on an Avanti app, which is filled out by our partners, agents on the ground. So it's an assisted mode because our end user may not even have a smartphone. So they're assisted in filling the details, but all the validations, verifications, information capture is all done paperless. It's all done on the app. The second leg is the presenceless part where we don't have a single branch. So today we are operating in 22 states and 250 districts of India, which is roughly a third of India's districts without a single branch of ours. And our whole logic or thought process behind it was you already have existing players or emerging players who are totally intertwined with our customer segment. So we have to use that ability to reach our customers. And the last is our North Star, which is cashless. That's a tough one. So from an ecosystem perspective, India is evolving rapidly. From giving our customers the tools to repay digitally, integration with banks, the different payment gateways, etc. We have done all of that. But there are social challenges of people being comfortable paying digitally or savvy now. So that's a small percentage of the overall repayments that we get. But we feel that's rapidly going to change in the next few years. And that will be a game changer because imagine a world where 100% of our customers are paying digitally. So the cost of collections comes down, the velocity of cash comes down, which reduces cost of credit, less instances of fraud, etc. So the customer will be the biggest beneficiary in terms of reduced rates and higher impact. Who are the partners that you went to market with? Give me some examples. And what are the kind of people that you're lending to? What's your target demographic? So let me answer the second part first. So about 90% of our borrowers are women. Of course, they may be taking a loan for a purpose which they are jointly doing some form of income generation with their spouses. Almost about 50% or so of our customers are smallholder farmers. Then you have other forms of customers who are in some form of agri or agri-allied activities. Could be dairy, poultry, piggery, goatry, etc. And then there would be about 25-30% of our customers who are really the micro MSMEs with small shops, vegetable vendors, so and so forth, where their one loan really is basic working capital for them. The kind of partners we have, other financial institutions such as the smaller MFIs, etc., which understand the basic principles of lending and collecting and customer service, may have very deep-rooted relationships with their customer base, but don't have big balance sheets to lend. So they become business correspondents of ours. There are ag tech players where we are building out some very interesting embedded finance programs. So these could be so on the on the first category of players we have organizations such as Samita in Madhya Pradesh. On the ag tech side we have or on the embedded finance side we have people like Stellaps. And we have a bunch of farmer producer organizations or collectives to whom we lend either directly to them or through them to the end farmers. And there's one more category, which is what we call as social partners, which could be not-for-profit organizations for whom financial inclusion is part of their charter, such as organizations like SEVA. And all put together, these are the ones which have given us a fairly robust 
nationwide presence, as I mentioned, in about 22 states. Is there an incentive for them? Do they also earn when you disburse funds? And do you disburse funds to a group like an MFI or is it to individuals? Yeah, so we disburse directly to the individuals. So our belief is that as the identity layer has got established in India, as everybody has a bank account, that need of creating these joint lending groups is going to become lesser and lesser. So looking at the building a sort of future-driven model, we lend directly individuals. Of course, may do some activities in a group kind of construct just for productivity purposes, which is getting people together to onboard them or collect from them, etc. So that's a little bit on who do we lend to. You had, there was another question, another part of the question, Akshay, which is incentive. Yeah. So the incentive is different form, the ranges and forms of incentive. So if you look at, for example, another MFI partner, the incentives would be sharing of the percentage of the interest we get because they have their own cost of people, branches, etc. So we they need to cover the cost and make some profit on that. So that will determine the percentage of yield share. In some of the embedded finance products, what we pay them might be just enough to cover their cost because the Avanti Finance is allowing them to sell their core product. The embedded finance means like a BNPL, buy now, pay later, which helps them to increase their sales? Yeah, BNPL is more of a sort of direct-to-consumer product. In our case, it could be if there is an ad tech player which is picking up produce from farmers and aggregating it to, let's say, sell it to the big grocery stores in a metro. Now, in order to have that high-velocity cycles of pick up, produce, pay the farmers, pick up and repeat, that's where Avanti comes on in terms of providing that short-term working capital because that's not the core business of, let's say, the active player. That's just one example and there are many other such use cases. And then in the social partner category, what we say, a lot of them have been doing in partnership with other organizations, uh, providing loans for people for income generation. That's what we do. For them, again, it's more a question of capturing or making sure that the costs are covered, less about it being a profit driver. So there are different sort of ranges and motivations of incentives. Okay, got it. What is your NPA rate? So our rate uh, is sub 2%, which is well below what we target. That's amazing. I think very few lending fintechs have a sub 2% NPA rate. Help me understand the business model here. What is the your cost of money? What is the interest rate that you earn from that? And from that, what is your the overheads? And what is the margin that you're left with? Yeah, so let me give you, let me paint pricing waterfall for you here. So let's just look at the different levels. So firstly is our cost of capital. So our cost of capital typically will be, look at solely look at our borrowings, will be in the 12 to 13% range as an early start, as an early stage company. We're triple B plus rated, but we've been punching above our weight here and getting funds at almost double A minus sort of rates. But then you have to add on the cost of losses, the cost of operations. For us, the big investment we're making upfront is technology. Now, platforms, typically, the, the investment in technology upfront in the beginning is a little disproportionate to the size of your business. But that is the biggest edge as you go forward, because once your platform mature and the productivity comes in, your transaction costs can start 
trending to very small numbers. So that's the patient capital and the strategic capital you need to put in. So we have cost of capital, we have cost of investment largely in technology. You have to budget for losses, you have to budget for operation costs. And then you have to budget for the payouts that you give to your partners. And these payouts can be quite different. So depending on who is your sourcing partner, as I explained earlier, the different most people have, that determines how you pay out. And depending on that, you will determine your final lending rate to the end borrower as well, depending on which channel it was sourced. The rate would differ based on who's sourcing the deal for you. That cost will get passed out to the borrowers. Correct. And it's with a MFI with which has costs attributed to real estate people, etc. Then you have to cover that cost. If it is an embedded finance player, the motivations are different. So that's how it works. But what is the average rate at which you lend out? We typically rates could be anything between the retail level could be anything between nineteen percent to twenty four percent, which is typically in line with what the industry in India is doing. Largely because the cost of capital itself is 12-13%. So could you give me like a journey year by year? 2018, once started, like a year by year breakdown to where you are now. Like what was your year one go-to market and how many fund, like how many loans did you give out or what was the dispersal and something like that, if you could take me through. I may not remember exact numbers year by year, but I'll definitely share the journey with you. So 2008, was the year where we went to market to test out a proof of concept in terms of building out a digital delivery model for the base of the pyramid. Uh, So we spent 2018 bringing the technology into the field and we had relationships with about three or four partners across five or six states. And we spent that year really understanding, and this was more, most of it happened actually in the last four or five months of the year. And we spent our time understanding the implementation of our technology in assisted mode by our partners. So firstly, how comfortable the partners were. The adoption of technology in an assisted mode by our customers. And a lot of time in terms of insights gained from customers and partners as to what's working and what the gaps are. And we started building out a team. In 2000, by early 2019, we were beginning to grow quite well. What kind of monthly disbursement? Or Yeah, so we, we were at that point of time beginning to do at least a few crores a month, but with an opportunity to leapfrog that by three times, four times very quickly. And then what happened is that in as we were growing, so we were seed funded. And then we started saying, okay, the first one... By Mr. Tata and Mr. Nilkani. Yeah, so we were seed funded by Mr. Tata and Mr. Nilkani. And then 2019 is the first year we went and took an external loan for on lending. And then we said, okay, we're getting a lot of confidence in terms of our business model. And maybe we should start looking at a series A and what would it take to do a series A. And so we spoke to a lot of potential investors in terms of our business model, why we were confident about it, yet it was untested. And we were in very nascent stage. And there wasn't much to show in terms of proof points, except some early successful pilots. And as we were sort of, you know, with the debt that we had, etc., as we started growing, and then COVID happened. So we are in many ways a COVID baby. And that's the point, that's the time in 2020, which was a difficult year, where there weren't 
new revenues were not being generated because our series A had got stalled and the money, and anyway, there was a moratorium on repayments. So money is not coming back. New monies are not flowing out. So we went through that. But our founders were very clear that use this time to come out stronger. Be very sensitive to your borrowers. Understand the pain that they're going through. Learn from this stress test. And whatever investment that we need to make, make it in a manner where we learn from what's happening in COVID. Because hopefully not something as severe, but in the base of the pyramid, people, there are always some instances that happen that knock the wind out of people's sails. So how would you learn to manage your risk and your customer empathy? How do you balance all of this out as you create a platform? So we kept chugging along and we kept investing in our technology through the support of our founders because they had strong belief in what we were doing. And that actually then led to a very eventful year in 2021 where we raised a Series A through some very mission-aligned investors, such as Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Oiko Credit, which is a Netherlands-based large impact investment organization, and Nomura Bank, and also some private capital that came from a gentleman in Gujarat who's a technopreneur turned philanthropist, in addition to some repeat funding that was provided to us by our founders. Now, that allowed us to grow, and we grew about three and a half times to a book of about 350 crores or so by the end of March 2022. Our ambitions now are quite big, actually, and we are now at a phase where we're looking at getting into breakout growth phase. So having served 200,000 customers for different livelihoods, different use cases across the country, we are now looking at really accelerating and getting to about an AUM of about 2,000 crores, about half a million customers or more served in the next 18 months. This will happen via a few key drivers. One is that the last leg of our platform strategy is coming to life now, where we will embark upon co-lending with some very reputable institutions which gives us the capital or the access to additional capital to serve our last mile customers and gives the our leaders the ability to reach cohorts that they can't reach themselves and leverage on the technology we built, the partnership network we've created across the country and the risk management ability that we have internally. Plus, there is a lot of demand that we have curated and we have been working very closely with all the partners that we have. So together, we will now get into a very exciting growth phase for the company. And it's not just growth phase for the company. Every day we come to work, the more customers we serve, it means the more impact we're making in the lives of people we were meant to. So that is what gets us out of bed every morning. Amazing. What's your current monthly dispersal? So let's just say that we are now running at a range of about 60, 70 crores, targeting to get to 100 and then the logical step to go from 100 to 200 crores over the next four to six months. Like by middle of next year, you'd be dispersing about 200 crores a month. I would hope so. Wow, amazing. Okay. So co-lending that you're speaking of, is this where the there's this priority lending requirement? So is it for that helping banks and other organizations to meet that priority lending targets? I think banks get a couple of advantages. One is the PSL targets. 
Two is other than that, they also get access to customers early in their banking cycles. So a lot of these customers will sort of upgrade and the banks can offer them products for the different life cycle of their needs. But banks can't put branches everywhere. They may not necessarily understand the economics of making money on a 30, 40,000 rupee loan along with the cost of credit which has to be managed. So given that we have now invested time and capital on that, we have a very credible story to partner with. And that is what is drawing the great attention of reputed institutions who work with us. Okay, so the fact that your go-to-market is through partner agencies would keep your operational costs pretty low. Absolutely. Now, just to add to that, so the, at the amount of business we're disbursing currently, or will disburse, let's say even at, we're about 60 people in our organization, right? So let's say when we start very shortly, when we start disbursing 100 crores a month, which could be in a month or two, we'll still be 60, 65 people. Now, Typically, companies in this this segment that we are talking about, I'm not talking about urban segment. If you're going to be doing 25,000 loans a month, you have typical brick and mortar financial institutions, MFIs, etc. They may even have a thousand people and hundreds of branches to do this, but we are extremely lean. So there's a huge difference there. Do you also attract ESG money? There is this global theme of environment, social governance and so like that ESG funds for as co-lending partners. You bring about a very valid point. And in fact, I've just come back from a business trip in Europe where there was big talk about ESG and agri-finance to combat climate risk, gender, various elements of ESG and SDGs. Clearly what's happening is if I was to not just straight jacket leading ESG, but there's an impact hopefully will become more mainstream. It's not there yet, but there seem to be some moves which definitely will augur well for the industry and the customers that we're trying to serve. So some of these themes that I spoke to you, there was big discussion around it. And everybody is looking at how are you imbibing that in your business practices as part of your strategy? And do you have a roadmap for it? So I think we're at an early stage of that big ESG roadmap, but we clearly are building towards it because this is reality and we have to play a part. What's your leverage ratio? What percentage of your assets under management is equity? Like how much is that debt to equity? So we have a debt to equity currently of about roughly about 2.5 times. So there is still room to leverage more. And with co-lending coming in, what could be the like the ceiling of this number that you could hit? Like by the time you hit your 2000 CR EUM target? Actually, I wouldn't say it'll actually come down. Because if you look at a co-lending model, then if you're doing 80-20, only 20 is on your balance sheet, 80 is off your balance sheet. Right? So you're actually leveraging much more and then your need for capital comes down. So it becomes a very capital efficient model of growth. Yeah. yeah, so your le- your leverages will actually come down. Like you might be lending as much as say 10 times your equity if you include the total amount lent, not just your balance sheet, but... Yeah, so our goal is that at mature stage, maybe in two, two and a half years time, or at increased mature stage, almost 60 to 70% of the lending we do or the AUM will, we have will be off our balance sheet. What is a five-year roadmap for Avati? I think in five years time, I would say, hopefully, we would have witnessed the WhatsApp moment of our business where this whole concept of a digital delivery model to the base of the pyramid 
being executed in a paperless, presentless, cashless model would have become quite mature. I would hope by then in five years' time, we would have served at least 20, 30 million customers or more and played a meaningful part in the journey of enabling access to formal financial services to the 100 million who are out of it because we're not going to do all of this, right? The reason we're creating a platform is other people in the industry can leverage our platform to do part. A big part of us is to be an ecosystem enabler. We hope that by the intervention that we would have digitized credit to a large extent and we would have also helped people in their over, overall financial well-being, not just through credit, but through other fee-based products and liability products such as savings, insurance, etc. Because all of those are important to create financial empowerment and financial property. Hopefully, we would have very clear metrics on the impact that our financial products would have made in the well-being of the, our customers. And we should be some form of a digital neobank, which is serving swathes of the population which have been hitherto excluded. Tell me about building up Avati as an organization. Like you are an extremely lean team of just 60 people. So I'm pretty sure that these would have been like highly handpicked, highly mission-driven individuals. Tell me about that journey. So actually, firstly, I think let's start with the co-founding team. So as I mentioned, the board had handpicked few very capable folks who were the original co-founding team of Avanti who are still there and in fact are co-stewards of the organization. I was fortunate to be to become part of that team. So we have my colleague Manish Thakkar who's an ex-investment banker, uh, Lalitesh who's a global technologist, co-founder of Google in India, the person who built Google Map Maker on which Google Maps as we no, today was built. Sunil, who has done very senior roles in consulting, the last of which was with Accenture. And more recently, we had a very, very capable and mission-driven individual, Nagraj, who joined us as a chief risk officer. So it's really the leadership team. And then we have, of course, many more folks in the organization. So I think the leadership team manages the company collectively. Each one of us brings something to the table and then it's a question of always you know some of the parts so yes we've been very fortunate to build a very high energy performance oriented mission driven team very young but very mature in their thinking and in their clarity as to why they want to be part of the avanti body and that brings us to the end of this conversation i want to ask you for a favor now did you like listening to the show? I'd love to hear your feedback about it. Do you have your own startup ideas? I'd love to hear them. Do you have questions for any of the guests that you heard about in the show? I'd love to get your questions and pass them on to the guests. Write to me at ad at the podium dot in. That's ad at t h e p o d i u m dot in.